Hello and welcome to the Disenfranchised Podcast, the most jerkin' podcast known to man. I'm your host, Stephen Foxworthy. We're that podcast about those franchises of one, those films that fancy themselves full-fledged franchises before falling flat on their face after the first film. I, once again, am your host, Stephen Foxworthy. Joining me, as always, is my co-host, your favorite punk rock prom queen. It's Brett Wright. Hey, Brett. Hello, this is Stephen. How we doing, buddy? Um, pretty good, man. Pretty jerking. Pretty jerking. Everything's jerking these days. Everything's jerking. Jerking is the new cool. It is indeed. Um, and speaking of the new cool, it's America's favorite trend pimp, Tucker. Hey, Tucker. Hi, uh, I'm also jerking, and that was going to be really funny, but you guys just like took all the wind out of my sails. Right there, it was right there. It's <laughs> it li- literally you. You were going to say the most obvious thing that anyone could have said, so mm. I really just beat you to it by saying the most obvious thing I possibly could have said. I mean, it's, it's I'm the well, last though, line. It's rescue. literally the last line of the movie if you watch all the way through the credits. Well, it is at the end of the credits. Yeah. 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 So. God, I love this movie. Uh, what movie are we talking about, Tucker? We're talking about Josie and the Pussycats. Uh, they've got the long tails and the ears for hats. 2001. Guitars and Marshall Stacks. Josie Sorry, and the Pussycats, written and directed by Deborah Kaplan and Harry Elfont, uh, starring Rachel Lee Cook, Tara Reed, Rosario Dawson, Gabriel Mann, Paolo, Consta- Con- Paolo Costanzo. Excuse me. There it is. Missy Pyle, Alan Cumming, Parker Posey, Tom Butler, Donald Faison, Seth Green, Breckenmeyer, Alexander Martin, Serena Alshul, Carson Daly, Aries Spears, Eugene Levy, uh, Levy, Eugene Levy, uh, Kenneth Babyface Edmonds. I'm saying Babyface, yeah. You guys yeah. saw Babyface. He's on the uh, behind the music. He's the He is. He's the chief. Tenille. Yeah. <laughs> He's great. He's great. Um, what a cast. And dare I say it, gentlemen, what a oh, picture. Man. Hell yeah, it absolutely is. I haven't oh, I seen this, this movie, movie since it came out. I think. Oh, I'm pretty sure. How do you how do you not watch this movie every year, Brett? Like, man, you know me. I don't rewatch <laughs> movies very often unless I'm like absolutely in love with them. Which you could argue, why am I not absolutely in love with this movie? Uh, so, yes, I, that I, is I, that like, was going to be my next question. Yeah, I, I don't know, man. I just I guess I just assumed like most '90s movies of its ilk, it didn't hold up. Boy, was I wrong. This um, movie holds up better than just about any other movie that came out around the time, honestly. This movie holds up shockingly well. I mean, outside of your, you know, major blockbusters of the 90s, yes, I would agree. So um, wh- how, so you you haven't seen this since it came out. Did you see it in theaters? Did you see it on VHS? Where, how did you first engage with this one, Brett? Um, I'm pretty sure this was smack dab around the time, as I mentioned before, where my dad had that side gig doing, you know, uh, early screenings. Mm-hmm. So I think I uh, went and saw it for one of those. So that I do believe that means I got like a poster. Um, I know I had a copy of the Rolling Stone that they were nice. on the cover of. Nice. Um, I remember being pretty, not obsessed with this movie, but like pretty into it. I mean, I was... I was an MTV kid. I was definitely very much into MTV and pop music at the time. A thing I think um, you mentioned on our Aeon Flux episode. Probably. 
Um, also, it probably didn't. It probably didn't help that they're like three very good-looking girls in this movie, and not a bra to be seen. Nope. That's that's <laughs> what I was gonna say next. Um, yes, I'm pretty as sure. A, as a as a shallow, superficial heterosexual male. Yes. Hey. Um, you know, you are what you are. I, I mean, well, look, that was like very like you know, formative years mm-hmm. for, for young Brett, and um, it's the year I graduated high school. I'm I'm pretty sure. Rachel Lee's cook look in this movie influenced a lot of what I was attracted to going forward. So, yep, yep, she looks great. They all look great. Parker Posey looks great. Alan Cumming looks great. Oh my gosh! Like this cast, I don't think anyone in this cast has ever been hotter than they are in this movie. And this is an, an incredibly hot cast from top to bottom. I, except for the fact that what happened to Terry post this movie, kind of. Yeah, color yeah. her like yeah, I didn't really, at the time. I probably thought she was you know incredibly attractive in this movie, but hindsight being what it is, I didn't really. I just felt sorry for her the entire movie. Like you have no idea what's about to come for you, and I feel so mm-hmm. bad. I think maybe one of her last great performances. We can we can get into the terror read of it all if you'd like. We can do that later. All right, we'll 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 get into it. Absolutely, Tucker. What about you? How did you first engage with this movie? I worked at the the Lowe's and Cherry Tree when this movie came out, and uh, I I used to I watched it a lot. I came and watched it when I was not at work because I could come and see whatever movie I wanted whenever I wanted because I worked there. And uh, I actually put this movie together. I I I cut this movie and put the trailers into it and loaded it on the platter. And watched it the Wednesday before it came out by myself at like two o'clock in the morning. And then uh, just by from doing ushering and uh, going in and taking my breaks, I would take my breaks in that movie. And that would be fun. Uh, that's taking breaks at that movie theater is how I discovered two of the, the best foods to put together are popcorn and hot nacho cheese. It's not an easy thing to do because popcorn be small. So there's not mm-hmm. a lot of dipping that you can really do. And your fingers are going to get dirty. But it's worth it. Unless it's you're using chopsticks. Way too messy to just pour the nacho cheese over top of the popcorn? Yeah, it gets, it gets squishy. It's like when you put marinara sauce on bread and you're like, oh, wow, now I'm eating mush. Great. Um, kind of like that. It's a thing where you have to dip it and eat it. You can't just like sit it in there because then it'll just turn into mush. Yeah. Do you butter the popcorn always... prior to dipping it into the nacho cheese? You can, but you don't have to. Does it improve? It depends it on how frisky that you're feeling. I wouldn't say that it improves it, but it changes it slightly. It's it's just another, another variation that is of equal quality. Okay. Yeah. That's my that reminds opinion. me when I when I worked at a movie theater, I that's where I first discovered nacho cheese on a hot dog, which I had never oh, had yeah. at the time. I was only like fourteen or fifteen, so I was young. <laughs> I wasn't aware of cheese on a hot dog at the time but and they were beef hot dogs too so they were salty as shit they were get that nacho but, cheese on there yeah because it's not Ooh, something we sold me. at the theater so it was like, i'm oh, getting chest pains just shit. listening to you guys talk about that <laughs> me too <laughs> yeah same ow so good it's so good oh do um, i need another always... stent no like i need a hole in the head i've there I've always day. loved this movie from the first time I saw it and every t- every subsequent time that I've seen it, every friend that I've taken under my wing as a, a, a movie mentor, I've showed them this film and they've loved it. Uh, I had it on VHS at a time. 
my roommate has the DVD of it, which is what I've been watching until the Blu-ray came out probably for the last decade. And unfortunately, she's Ding Dong, and she bought it at Walmart, so it's edited. Mm. So I've been watching the edited version until I got my Blu-ray. I have seen um, the edited version. It is ridiculous. I will talk about that here in a second. Yeah, do not like. Uh, but luckily, the Blu-ray came out a couple years ago. Finally, for the 20th anniversary, they put out the Blu-ray, and I pre-ordered that MF. That came to my door a day early. I need this movie to come out on 4K, and I I need it in a steelbook. I would love to have it on 4K, for sure. But it's not, for me, it's not something that I necessarily, I don't know that it would improve the experience too much for me. It's not something like Virgin Suicides, where it completely changes the movie because the colors are so much more... I don't even know what the colors are, but there's so much more color. I mean, the the colors Ish. in this movie are phenomenal. Like this movie looks yeah. great. It like looks great. all the sparkles and sequins and like the the color contrast against like the stark white of the backgrounds once they become famous, like I think would look really, really great on a 4K, honestly. I really want to see really the McDonald's cool. logo in 4K. Hell know? yes. <laughs> Hell yes. We're gonna get into the product placement of this movie too, because it is fucking brilliant. Um it's the whole movie. This movie is so I, I still don't think people understand how good this movie is. Like this movie is, was doing so many subversive things in the early two thousands that we're still catching up with in the, in the 2020s. Like it's really incredible. Um, but yeah, I first caught this movie on VHS shortly after it came out. Um, a buddy of mine, I think had seen it in theaters and bought it when it came out and was like, you guys have to watch this. He and a couple of my other friends were actually in a punk rock band at the time. So there were three of them, three characters in the movie. They kind of resonated with this movie a little bit as kind of like musicians who really wanted to hit it big. And then we kind of picked up on some of the more subversive elements and latched on to some of those things and thought they were really fun. Um, one of my friends was, um, well, I guess all of those friends, yeah. Two thirds of those friends are are very conservative still to this day. Um, And so uh, they were like, oh, I don't want to watch, you know, a movie with language and, and, and themes in it. So they they bought the edited version at Walmart and watched it unironically. Uh, And it takes out like some of the best jokes in the movie, like the honk, if you love pussy joke, not Mm -hmm. in the edited version. The last line of Eugene Levy's um, spiel. is out because there's a, a, a bikini model with an American flag and he calls America the most ass kicking planet or country on the planet. Um, like they're just, you're, you're missing like good chunks of like good stuff in this movie. Uh, the whole, <gasps> you slept with him line is taken out of there. Like so many great, great moments of this movie that are just completely gone as a result, which is uh, a fucking bummer. Yeah. Mm. And the, but I, I do know. remember at the, at the end of the VHS tape, they they did the music video for Backdoor Lover. They had the music video for Backdoor Lover at the end of the of the movie. So nice. if you fast forwarded through the credits, you could get your du jour video, which was really fun. Now that song's stuck in my head. I do oh, actually, I do actually own this movie on VHS. Um, I still own this movie on. I don't have a VHS player, but I own this movie. All those on VHS. VCRs, Stephen. Those are called VCRs. I right. I don't have one of those. Okay. Just making sure because everybody that's like a, a no, no disrespect to any of the younger generations, I'm not one of those people who's like, oh, Gen Z sucks. And I, I don't even think labeling generations is healthy. But anyway, um, 
no offense to any of them, but on the internet, all the kids that are getting into like retro media and stuff, they call them VHS players. That's all you they know call why, them is VHS Tucker? players. Why? Because they don't call they don't call a DVD player something else. They don't call a Blu-ray player something else. They don't call a 4K it. player something else. I get they, it. It's the kind of media, and it's the thing that plays that kind of media. They didn't. We're we're young enough or old enough, I guess. Ugh. We're old enough that we know <laughs> there's a different name for the thing and what you play it on. Like there's a cassette tape, and then there's your boombox or your Walkman. Like it's not a cassette player, although sometimes it was it that. Is, but yeah, <laughs> or your tape deck. Bad right. example, but yes, I don't understand what you mean. But 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 again, like there were other names for it. Like a DVD player is a DVD player is a DVD player. Mm-hmm. So that's why. Right. Would be my guess, it's, but it's no, just I. Ignorance. They don't know no better. It's no, okay. And here's I the just... thing: it still works as a descriptor. It works. Yeah. Look, we still call it an ATM machine, and that's just as dumb. So. Exactly. Speak for yourself. ATM all the way. Full well, stop. ATM. Period. Well, good for you. You know, I also took great pride for, for someone of, who goes out of their way to put S's on things that don't need them. That this is the hill you're willing to die on is weird. Uh, you see, I like to switch things up, Stephen. Um, I like to be unpredictable, but predictable in my unpredictability. Oh well. Who knows? There's like 150 people in my backyard. Who knows what that could be? <laughs> Sounds good. UFO land yeah. again? Uh, maybe. Who knows? Man. I'll, I'll ask Ed Crane if he's seen it. There you go. Uh, but yeah, we are here to talk about Josie and the Pussycats, a movie that I, I never understood why this movie did not take off. Like, And I think just... I don't know if the promotion wasn't there or what, but like I feel like this movie should have been a much bigger hit than it was. I remember why at the time. For honestly, the reason you sort of hinted at, I don't think people understood it. I think the mm. satire of this movie and the subversiveness was way ahead of its time, and people didn't get it. Mm-mm. Well, I, I would argue that that's the same with the other film that the creative team for this film worked on before this, Can't Hardly Wait. Which is also a great movie. Agreed. And I think even though that one did do well, I still think uh, in a lot of ways it probably did well for the wrong reasons. It was maybe a, a little too accessible and and wasn't as, as evident mm. as what what they were trying to do. I think Can't Hardly Wait was, was kind of safe. They They said what they wanted to say, but they wrapped it in the kind of rapper that everybody likes to see. I mean, it, it's, it's a very much your, your typical teen movie with a few elements that kind of take it out of that. So yeah, yeah that tracks. And this speaking movie of, is a lot more uncompromising. Speaking of when they're in, uh, when they're in, um, in the office in Fiona's office and they mm-hmm. go down into the sub basement and all the screens and the tickers are going on one of the tickers. It says can't hardly wait is an underrated movie. Mm hmm. That's here's the thing. I could watch. I I watch this movie and I still pick out tiny little gags like that that I didn't pick up on the first few. Times. I only noticed like, that this time. That's why I'm so excited about it. I'd never seen it until this time that I watched it. Yeah, that it. and that's I think one of the coolest things about a movie like this is there's always something to find. Like there are some things that are so hidden so deeply in the background and references that are so quick um, that if you blink you absolutely miss them and it's. It's wild and it's so fun. It's one of the things I love about the movie, honestly. 
Yeah, I think the product placement is like so in your face that mm-hmm. I think people maybe didn't realize that was supposed to be a joke. Uh, if I recall, like right, that tracks. They took, yeah, they took that too seriously. They didn't realize that was kind of the point. Hmm. Yeah, agreed. It's um. Yeah, again, it, it's subversive of in a, in a lot of ways of everything that pop culture was at that moment. And the fact that they got those people in on the joke that you get Carson Daly to play himself as a part of a vast conspiracy that you get all the MTV VJs like Serena Alchul to actually come in and play themselves in the movie as part of this grand conspiracy is incredibly subversive, but also what makes this movie really fun. And I think what makes it easier for people to miss that this is a send up of the whole music industry circa 2001. And it's fucking brilliant. I think it's a, it's a comment on commercialism as a whole. It is hundred percent. It's focusing on the music industry, but I think it has um, it, what it's saying has, is a little bit of a wider reach than just that one facet of the entertainment industry absolutely um but i but it it was born out of from my understanding it was born out of um kaplan and elfant who were both like i think west coast babies and i think they were really a part of the grunge scene in seattle in the early 90s when it was cropping up kind of taking a look at the music industry as it was in the late 90s and going what is this where did we come from how did we get here what what are we what is this all about? What is this doing here? And then Where did you come from? Where did you go? <laughs> exactly. And then this movie becomes kind of their response to that feeling. And the fact that they graft this, like the rise of the boy band um, and particularly like the flash in the pan, like boy bands, like 98 degrees and five O-Town, O-Town from making the band. Oh, O-Town. like, what was the one with liquid dreams oh god (laughs) what was the one with uh chris farley's brother was in there was like a parody one was that o-town or was that no that was um i can't remember the name the 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 song was calculus you plus me equals us yes yeah tucker got really excited and ran away so i'm assuming he actually has the album or their second single oh Together. together yeah yes their second there single, it is. the worst part of breaking up is getting back your stuff that was their sequel, <laughs> sequel single. you just said those words brett i'm just making sure you know <laughs> absolutely like, found this in goodwill uh, a couple of years ago i was so excited to see it because you can't um, get the show anywhere well, it's no. nowhere no uh, why would thank, it be and i'm gonna thank tiktok for reminding me about together um, mm-hmm. i forgot about them until tiktok oh me. i could never forget about together oh, that's man. one of my favorite things that came out of the boy band craze was together i just didn't remember yes. the fucking name of the band but like and and, and pop acts like britney spears and christina aguilera like kind of rising up and, and becoming what mu- what popular music was whereas just a few short years ago it had been you know kurt cobain and kind of this grunge rock kind of there was something authentic to that. And now it's shiny and polished and new and different. And how does that happen? And how does that happen so quickly? And so the idea of the conspiracy and everything was just born out of that. And that they were somehow able to graft that idea onto an existing IP and make it both a, a movie that feels very much a part of the Josie and the Pussycats canon and lore while also being this 
incredibly insightful and satirical send up of music in this era is an unparalleled feat that I think we attention must be paid. Agreed. Yeah. You don't, it, think, it's, yeah. it's kind of lightning in a bottle. It doesn't happen that often where you get a movie that, that is as good at doing what it's doing as this movie, as just efficient and proficient mm-hmm. at just doing the thing that it's doing. I'm sorry, Brad, I cut you off. What were you saying? Oh, no, then I, I, I forgot what I was going to say, so it's cool. Okay, that works too. <laughs> <laughs> Left my brain as soon as it got there. So, yeah. Oh, man, had it, then you lost it. Uh, if you forgot it, my mom would say it must have been a lie if you forgot what you were going to say. Oh, probably. Yeah. That's a thing. The other thing I was going to say is you, last week on the Howard the Duck episode, you guys mentioned how you had your hot takes that could get you canceled. Do you want to hear mine? Yeah, oh, yes, dear. Please. Do I? Um, I think Nirvana's overrated. What? Oh, does Tucker agree? Does Tucker Tucker maybe agree with that take? I don't think he's going to say it out loud, but he's going to look real sheepish. I've gotten crucified for saying that to friends before. Like it's, I don't know if I would use the term overrated because in their prime at the time that they came out, they legitimately changed music. And they deserve, I think, respect for that. But I'm so over them, and I have been for years. And maybe so that's what it is. It. I wasn't like, into them the shit? Come on. at their height. So they're not, know. and they're not, they're not really that great. They just kind of happen to be in the right place at the right time. Please don't give out my home address. I want to live. <laughs> <laughs> right. I don't. I don't. They're not saying that. they were bad. They were a talented group of guys. I'm just saying, sure. right place, right time. They're not the end all, be all that everybody thinks that they are, in yeah, my opinion. Let's, and let's apparently, let's not Brett's get it twisted. Well. Like just because I'm saying they're overrated doesn't mean I'm saying they're bad. I'm just <laughs> saying some of y'all need to move on. That's all. Yup. <laughs> it Listen was thirty years ago. Station. It was thirty years ago. It's okay. We can we can move on. We can do something yeah. else. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So. You know, that's Brett's hot take. Trademark. Nice. <laughs> well done. Uh, so, yeah, there you go. Um, but, I mean, yeah, this this movie is, um, it's really, and it, it, I think it it's very much a product of its time and place. Like, it is very much early, late 90s, early 2000s. Like, it is that on the screen purely and unabashedly in in a lot of ways down to the product placements for sure but also the references the music like the fact that trl is a set piece in this movie is very late 90s early 2000s uh carson daly oh yeah carson daly as a like now he's a late night host and has been for probably longer than he was ever on trl is his show still on does he he still Uh, he can't possibly no way. Really? Can't possibly? Really? No. I don't no. think so. I mean. No. no. Like, last call. Till 2019, last call. I mean. So longer that's... than I thought that it did. Right. Oh, absolutely, yeah. That's that's a while, man. That's He, he did that for a hot minute. Good and now him. he's an executive producer on something called Barmageddon. Fucking great, dude. Like, take a take a nap. Have a, have a rest, you know? Where celebrities throw back and throw down a show he hosts with uh, Lee Metzger and Blake Shelton, it looks like. Okay. Who's the guy with him? 
in the studio that says he's Carson Daly, but it's not him, and he does the really good Bill Cosby impression. Harry Spears Spears from Mad TV. Who is he? Oh, that's where I know him from. Yeah. Every time I watch this movie, I'm like, I I know that guy from something. Is it from this movie or is it from something else? (laughs) I I saw him on Mad TV, and I was like, oh, that's the guy from Josie and the Pussycats. (laughs) Nice. Because I watched a lot of uh, Mad TV reruns on Comedy Central back in the day. So, yeah. But, like, man, I, I don't know about you guys, but, like, whenever they do this in a movie and the guy's just clearly there to do his bit, mm-hmm. um, I just cringe right out of my own skin. Like, it's just... All he's there for is just do his bit, and like that's it. Like he's. Yeah. Like, I liked his impressions, though. I think they're really I, funny. No, but the joke about "dude, you got to stop doing that with the fingernails" kills me every time. Like <laughs> yes, you're not yeah. really sure. Yeah, look at the fingernails. That's yeah. that's <laughs> that's worth stuff, it for me. Outside of him doing his bit, great. But like once he like gets into it, and you're like, oh, you're just here to do impressions, like you right. do on Mad TV, like. Mm-hmm. Why? That isn't like it's. it's... What would you have rather it be, Frank Caliendo? No, I would have also cringed out of my skin had that been the case. Like, I don't know. It's it. It just. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just me. It just feels also, like they're getting the monkey to dance. Is just really what it feels yeah, like. Like I just, mean, I get that. Know. In retrospect, the Bill like Cosby that. impression extra uncomfortable these days. Pretty yeah, hilarious. Yes, agreed. Indeed. Oh, uncomfortable. Yeah, that too. But also really <laughs> hilarious. Yeah. Talking about Bill Cosby killing her after he, quote, dips his spoon in your pudding. Gross. Uh, Um, Yikes. Yikes. Yep. Yeah. Pretty gross. Um, Good times. But yeah, no, I mean, I I think Ari Spears is doing fun stuff. I mean, he's doing what he's asked to do. Like, there are... and, And here's the thing. I think everybody seems really, really dialed into what this movie is. And I mean everybody, like top to bottom, no one is asking any questions about what they're doing in this movie. And they're everyone is so perfectly cast and perfectly pitched right down the middle in this movie. And they are fucking everyone is bringing it so fucking hard. This movie, thanks to this movie, I still think Alan Cumming is one of the greatest actors on the planet. I think he's amazing. And this I, movie has a lot to do with why. I think Alan Cumming as an actor, I think he's phenomenal, but there's just not a lot that he's in that I really give a shit about, honestly. Within, I think within this year, I saw him both in this movie and X2 X-Men United as Nightcrawler. Oh, I hate his Nightcrawler. It's not even his oh, fault. Oh, I, I love his Nightcrawler. His Nightcrawler. Um, I like him. I just don't like the way Nightcrawler's written in that movie, and I don't like the way he looks in that movie. See, I, whereas I think everything about that character in that movie is great. And I'm glad it brings you joy. I truly am. And I love Alan Cumming in that movie. Um, and I, 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 for a while, was going out of my way to see Alan Cumming movies and performances. Like, he's he's really good. Uh, I have not seen um, Julie Taymor's Coriolanus with him in it yet. Uh, maybe Who's or Anus? not? No, not Coriolanus. Titus. Sorry. Julie Taymor's Titus. Oh. Uh, he is, he's the emperor in Titus, but apparently he is hanging dung in that movie. So speaking of Titus and Alan coming both in Schmigadoon, just saying, get that Apple TV plus subscription, Steven, go ahead and do it. Five bucks a month. Go, go, go. You need it. That's your favorite show. And you don't even know it yet. 
It's true. Not the same Titus, the other Titus from I Kimmy Schmidt. Even, Titus. I haven't even seen Schmigadoon, and I know it's probably Steven's favorite show. Oh, it's your favorite <laughs> show, Steven. <laughs> like, uh. like, so, you know, Cecily Strong and, and Keegan-Michael Key got together one day, and they were like, we should make a show. We should make a show for Steven, though. A show for Stevens? Do. Yeah, and then they, and they, they called up the Cinco, what's his name, the dude that is the creator of the show, and it's like, we should make a show for Steven. What do you think Steven would like? And then they made this show, <laughs> both seasons. Yeah. All right. That's true. Martin Short's in that bitch, man. I do. I do love Martin Short. At one point man. in my life, Martin Short was like my second favorite actor. So I mean, he's a treasure. I do love him. He's a sweet boy. You also got to bring him back. I got to I gotta mention Alan Cumming in Goldeneye. Mm-hmm. Fantastic yeah. in Goldeneye. I am invincible. Yep. But I mean, the man's accent work is absolutely incredible. Uh, absolutely impeccable. I uh, every movie that we've mentioned, not him, he does not do his actual real accent in any of those movies. Man is fully Scottish. Yes. And is. is he's doing a British and American accent in this movie. He's also in Romeo and Michelle's high school reunion, which he's great in. Um, he's doing a German accent in X2. He's doing a Russian accent in Goldeneye. Like the man's accent work is absolutely incredible. He is a phenomenal performer. And this was my introduction to Alan Cumming. I would not know who he was without this movie. Uh, Parker Posey as well. I had not seen a Parker Posey film before Josie and the Pussycats. And speaking of performances perfectly pitched to what this movie is, God, she is doing everything. If only if only they would have written Blade Trinity to to work with a character like that, because Mm. she does really great in that movie, too. It just doesn't work in that movie. Right. Doesn't, we already got Ryan Reynolds shooting his mouth off. We don't need like somebody else, you know. And it, she does the same performance, and it's just as good, except she's a little more evil because she's literally like eating people and stuff. Sure. But it's just not the movie for it, and it kind of sucks. I saw her in Dazed and Confused. That's the first thing I saw her in. Nice. She's in Dazed and Confused. Yeah, and I mean, I've I've returned to her many times because she's a frequent collaborator with Christopher Guest. Um, and I love oh, Christopher yeah. Guest films, um, with the exception of Mascots. Uh, Mascots is very bad. Uh, but the rest of Christopher Guest stuff is really good. And she's in uh, A Mighty Wind, Best in Show, um, For Your Consideration, Phenomenal in All. Well, is that how they get Eugene Levy for this movie? Probably. Maybe. The Christopher Guest connection? Maybe. That's what I always assumed. And I also love the fact that Levy is a Canadian actor talking about how great america <laughs> is that never ceases to make me laugh he's wonderful and you know it's great he was kind of in his mainstream peak this was during the american pies this is like where... just a couple years after american pie right the same year as american pie 2 actually yeah mm-hmm. so this is kind like of a... people who knew already knew mm-hmm. who he was but at right. that point he was on everybody knew who he was he was he had everybody's attention at that point i mean he was in sctv he was in both father of the bride movies like he he'd been kind of a a comedy guy like a background comedy guy for years Mm -hmm. but thanks to american pie like he kind of reaches this new level of fame and then in the midst of all that he's doing the christopher guest movies as well and drawing pulling a lot of people into those so like people like oh it's jim's dad in a movie about dogs this will be fun and then that they discover Parker Posey and Fred Willard and all the other people in that movie doing incredible work. So, yeah. Uh, can we talk about Rosario Dawson? Because 
I oh, you mean know. the hottest woman in the world? Yeah, go ahead. I don't know if she has gotten shorter over time or if everybody in this movie is is short because she's very tall in this movie. I think everybody in, in every this movie other is film, very short. I'm going to say every other film I see her in, she is average sized at mm -hmm. best. She's I'm, just so damn tall. I mean, she I'm might gonna, be wearing platform shoes. Who knows? I'm going to Google Rosario Dawson height. I do love, I, I don't love racism. Uh, obviously, but I love the dynamic between Alan Cumming and and her because he always just he like acts like she doesn't exist and it's really sad and offensive and I love it. Uh, and I mean, yeah, that's a hundred percent intentional. Um, <laughs> which is yeah, it it's she doesn't get an invitation. They almost leave without yeah. her in the cab. Okay. So here's how this works. Rosario Dawson is five oh. foot seven. So she's about as tall as I am. Oh, that's not bad. I'm maybe an inch or two taller than her. That's cool. Tara Reid is five, five. Oh, dang. Rachel Lee Cook is five, two. Holy shit. So everyone in that's this movie is bit. short. Yeah. Ali. Everybody in this movie is short as hell. No wonder those Les Pauls look huge on her. Parker Posey also five, five. And Alan Cumming, I don't think, is a very tall man either. Alan ah, Cumming's five. five well, he's five ten. He's five ten. So, oh, I was which I mean, five ten is you know, that's kind of like Hollywood code for you're not five ten. But <laughs> everyone says Alan five ten. Yeah, I said that, five twelve as as if a foot wasn't a thing. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Thank you. Thank you. Um. Yeah. It. But yeah. So everyone in this movie fairly short. Um. But yeah, Rosario Dawson, um, gorgeous, gorgeous in this movie. Actually, again, I don't think anyone in this movie has ever been hotter than they are in this movie. Good Lord, everyone in this movie is so fucking hot. Agreed. Agreed. And Boys it, and girls and everything in between, all just looking real, real good. It breaks my heart that Rachel Lee Cook didn't really do much after this movie. Uh, and it also kind of breaks my heart that um, Tara Reid, what happened to Tara Reid after this movie, honestly, like... Before we get into that, we should do the plot at some point, right? Oh, let's, let's do. Uh, we probably, you're right, keeping us on track. How dare you? Always breaking I mean, up Gunfather's conversation with look, a stupid plot. Look, look, man, look, at this point, should we just get rid of this segment? Like, what the hell? <laughs> no, it's 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 funny because it's always, it's a crapshoot as to when we're going to remember to do it. Yeah, that is, that is <laughs> kind the of the, part. <laughs> that is kind of the game that we're playing here. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so let's go ahead and uh, for those of you at home who don't know, the plot in 60 seconds is the part of the show where we recount the plot of the movie that we're watching in 60 seconds or less. Um, and Brett's going to roll the, what is it, the die of mild indifference? What did we? I thought it was the D6 of justice. And we're D6 still, of this justice? One's just, no, it, I came it's up only with the like, Canadian quarter that's. I came up with an alliteration okay. thing for this one last time and I forget what it was. D6 of destiny? Yes, there it is. That's it. That's the one. Very the D6 good. of Destiny. Yeah. Brett's going to roll the D6 of Destiny after too. he's going to assign some sides to each of us and roll the D6 of Destiny to decide which of the three of us will be recounting the plot of 2001's Josie and the Pussycats in 60 seconds or less. Brett, who's who? Um, well, since we're all pretty the same on this movie, we both all, we all three of us enjoy it. Um, I'll be one and two. Steven, you're three and four. Tuggy, you're five and six. Sounds good. Copy let's, that. Let's give it a roll. 
and that is a three. Damn, I am still, even the random, as random as this thing is, I am still always the one giving the plot. Why? How does that work? I don't know, man. Look, it's perfect. It's normalized. Like, I don't know. It's a one in three Fortune chance, basically. Fortune favors the brave. Yeah. And you're brave, Steven. That's what no. Fortune's not failing. Brave. Fortune's not but favoring me. It's failing me. As someone oh. who plays D and D on a regular basis, kinda. Um, that happens, man. You could roll really low an entire session, and th- there's no explanation for it. Um, this sucks. Them's the odds, baby. All right, we'll set the timer. Oh, you got that, Brett? Yeah, I'm working on it. Okay, good. All right. Ready to go whenever you are. And Brett will give me the 30 and 10 second warnings as we go. Indeed. Uh, there's a boy band called DuJour, and uh, they uh, are on a play, hottest band in the world. They crash outside of Riverdale on their way to a concert. Uh, and so their, the their managers, dude, I'm giving the plot here. Stop it. Um, Sorry, I can't. Their, their manager needs to find a new band. So he finds a, 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 a literal garage band uh, of girls called Josie and the Pussycats in Riverdale signs them to a contract and they become international superstars overnight. But surprise, the record label is putting uh, subliminal messages under their music to sell seconds. everything from beverages to clothing to, and, and everything in between. Um, and so eventually they, uh, they make it big. They kind of have a falling out. They break up. The conspiracy tries to remove uh, Val and Mel uh, but Josie figures it out, and uh, they all set out to stop it. Uh, evil record producer Fiona and uh, Alan Cumming, her sidekick, and then they perform a concert at the end, and everyone loves their music, and the end. And that's time. Sorry, Steven, I couldn't help it. It's only the best joke in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> and then he take, the pilot takes his gum out and sticks it on. You know who plays the pilot? Oh, that guy who plays the pilot? The director of this movie, Harry Elfont. Oh, nice. Yeah, little director cameo there as the as the pilot of the plane. And then, um, and then when the Josie and Pussycats are on the plane and he busts in there, he starts to take the gum out of his mouth again. He's like, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. No, my favorite joke in the movie is still uh, DeJour means seatbelts, DeJour means crash positions. Um, <laughs> there, is, there is no greater joke in cinema history than DeJour means seatbelts, DeJour means crash positions. Um, I love it. Everything on the plane that those four gentlemen are doing at the beginning of this movie is sheer perfection. Maybe if you would show Dr. Zayas the proper respect, Dr. Zayas would stop showing you the poo. Which, based or on the blooper get... reel during the credits, I feel like most of that was all improvised. Oh, they're improvising oh, all yeah. of that. Oh, 100. Give those actors like, improvising? Two, no. <laughs> give me the two hours of cut footage of just those scenes, please. Mm-hmm. Yes, I want that entirely. Have a video. I do the face because you know my mom is dead. You know my mom is dead. <laughs> you know my mom is dead. And they all start laughing. Like it's too bad your mom couldn't give you a new face. <laughs> you take that back right now. Um, God, I love this movie. It yeah, everything on the plane at the beginning is perfect. Basically, all four of those actors, um, Seth Green, Donald Faison, um Breckenmeyer. Breckenmeyer and uh, Alexander Martin. Uh, we're all in can't hardly wait. And so they all just like came in for a day to do a favor to, uh, to Deborah Kaplan and Harry Elfond to just be in the movie for like a, a day. Um, and they couldn't make it to the end scene. Only Alexander Martin could make it to the end scene. Cause 
God knows he didn't have anything else going on. Um, and so the rest of them are just played by stunt doubles and body casts, which is such a great joke. It is pretty great, honestly. Such an incredible payoff at the end of that movie. Um, and every day, I thank God I knew the words to enter Sandman. <laughs> Oh, we managed to land the plane. Unfortunately, it was in the parking lot of a Metallica show and their fans beat the crap out of us. Um, so Josie and the Pussycats, based on a 1963 comic, which was then adapted to a Saturday morning cartoon in 1970, um, was a part of the Archie Comics universe and was um, basically the Archie Comics people were really wary about this being made into a live action tv show because at the time archie had kind of a wholesome image to it and so they were concerned about the adult themes and the profanity in the in the movie so they actually like refused to promote it within the comics um at all which is weird because in 2017 they were all in on riverdale which has oh my god um all of the adult situations in it um, well, I think after after Archie crossed over with the Punisher, I think they got a little more relaxed about that kind of stuff. That happened in the early '90s, though. Are you did it? I'm pretty sure, man. I'm gonna look I it up. You. You're the you're the comic. 1994. Guy, right? I'm kind of bummed we maybe never got the... the Wolverine meets Jughead, but yeah, that was maybe it was the zombie arc that they did. That... Afterlife with Archie. That might that might have actually been what it was. Because Josie and the Pussycats did show up in the Riverdale show for a couple right. of episodes. I'm gonna look up Afterlife with Archie. Cook and Zario Dawson and Tara Reed, though. Nope. No, who cares? Well, by that point, they can't afford Rosario Dawson. I don't know. Yeah. She's still in Kevin Smith movies, so she she will take a lower paycheck if it's something she likes. So. If it were Josie and the Pussycats, do you see how much fun these girls were having in this movie? She'd come back for some. I Josie think they movie. all love this movie. Like, and I think this may have been one of the best times any of them had making a movie. That's um, why the montages in this movie are so great because it's just so them fun. having a fucking blast. Yeah. Like, one really of the things having a blast, not pretending to have a blast. No, you can tell, and they're all like super goofy and just having a really great time. And it shows. It's absolutely evident from top to bottom. It's it, and it's great. It's one of the things that I like about this movie is the relationship between the three of them feels really genuine. Like the affection between those three girls is absolutely genuine. Uh, and at the heart of it all, there's a really great kind of empowering message for for women, which is great. Let's empower women, please. Agreed. Yeah, which may, which may be, at the time this came out, maybe another reason it wasn't ever seen so well. Mm. Yeah. Well, well, you mean a, a movie with three female leads? No men on the poster to be seen? In the early How 2000s? We, however, are we going to market this between men ages 18 to 40? Indeed. Oh, hooray the 90s for the and early 2000s. 2000s were so terrible. Yeah, yeah, suck in so many ways. Yeah. And yet, this movie avoids all of the things, all the objectionable shit that tended to crop into movies around this time. Like, we were, we mentioned on our Patreon show, What Are You Watching? Patreon.com slash disenfranchpod. Uh, I watched uh, another great 90s satire, Drop Dead Gorgeous. Um, so much in that movie does not hold up well. Um, like there are so many th- like objectionable things and like really creepy, cringy kind of things that 
crop into that movie and you're just like, Oh, I kind of forgot this was in here. This is not okay. But this movie manages to avoid all of that while still being an absolutely scathing, timeless satire because the industry has not changed that much. Our culture is still as capitalistic and consumeristic as it was in 2001. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say this movie's even more relevant now because it's closer to what we're actually experiencing. It feels prescient in that way. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, and it, uh, here's the thing, it would make sense if there were a vast conspiracy putting subliminal messages and shit to make certain artists popular and certain artists not. Like, it would make sense if that were the case. Um, it, I, I don't know that it is. Maybe it is. I don't know. But, you know, maybe that's why this movie didn't do well is because the powers that be were trying to suppress it for getting the truth out. Yeah, I didn't hear much from Mr. Movie Phone after that. You know? Right? Hey, maybe they got him. Maybe, maybe they got him. Writing. Um, love that guy. Uh, loved him on that episode of Seinfeld where he comes after Kramer because Kramer is making fun of movie or is uh, basically filling in for movie phone because his phone number is five 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 filk. And people who uh, misdial five 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 film, yeah, a thing that doesn't really happen much anymore. Nope. No. No. You do have your number neighbor though. Text your number neighbor. Nope. Never, never done, done that. that. Nope. Me neither. But it's a thing that people do. I know. I I know people who've done it, and I'm just kind of like, why would you do that? Because the world is just cringy now. That's all. The world is a vampire. Okay. (laughs) No, that's fine. I'm not going to say anything every time you say that, as long as you don't say anything when I do my questionable transitions by claiming that one thing that is completely different than another is, in fact, the same thing. I mean, I do that, too. No, that's what I'm saying. I'll leave you alone if you leave me alone. Vampire anyway, you were talking guy. about Tara Reed and the terrible things that happened to her after this movie. Yeah, yeah, Tara Reed, man, like she and she is yeah. like in the middle of her ascent here. In '99, she does American Pie. She does a Cruel Intentions and American Pie in '99. Very small role in Cruel Intentions, if I recall correctly. Uh, two years before that, she's an Urban Legend as well a movie we will never cover on this podcast. And then also the year before she is in a little movie called the big Lebowski. I gotta um, go find an ATM. <laughs> <laughs> Brett can't watch though, or he has to play a thousand or he has to pay a uh, hundred. That's what it is. <laughs> um, she's in America. So American pie in 99, that kind of is on, on her way up. Um, and then the year after that, she's in Robert Altman's Dr. T and the Women, part of that massive ensemble cast. 2001, she does Josie and the Pussycats and American Pie 2. And then 2002, it's Van Wilder. And like after that, my boss's daughter in 2003. And then poof. B movies. It's, it's, she was yeah. in the Edward Furlong Crow movie. Like, if there's any Crow movie you don't want to be in, it's fucking that one. The Crow <laughs> Wicked Prayer. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Brett's like favorite film sequels, franchise of all time. The other sequels, <laughs> the other sequels are not great, but I see something in them that I can appreciate. But that one, oh my, it's just real, real bad. The two is fine. I don't hate I it. I like it's, too. It's I decent. think it's extremely yeah. underrated. It's not great, I, I but agree. it's really good. It's, it's good. good. Yeah. But after that, no thank you. There's a reason forward. we haven't done a, one of the Crow movies on Unenfranchised. Let's just be honest. Because no. no, it would be don't. this one, and we don't want to do it. No. Now, let's see how the new one comes out, and then, you know, 
<laughs> if it comes out. If it comes out. Mm, there it um, is. I mean, I, last I heard, it was done filming. So... Look, look is and... Jason Momoa in it though? Because last I heard, he wasn't in it, but then he was. And I don't know what I mean, like playing, playing as uh, the, the lead. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. no, it's uh, Bill Skarsgård. Hmm. Really? Whatever. Interesting. Really? Yeah. Look, man, I don't well, know. Let's talk about something else, you guys. I, look, I'm cautiously optimistic because, of course, I am. <laughs> because it's uh, like another thing favorite. that Tara Reid has apparently done. Every fucking Sharknado movie. Of course she has. Yeah. That's right. She's in all of those, I think. Um, Sharknado, Sharknado 2, the second one. Sharknado 3, Oh Hell No. Sharknado 4, The Fourth Awakens. Sharknado 5, Global Swarming. And then the last Sharknado, colon, It's About Time. Um, they made six of those. That happened, and, and we all let it happen. And Tucker has killed himself. Um, it's the only appropriate <laughs> response to learning that there are six Sharknado movies. <laughs> and you listing off everyone with the subtitle. Yes, I was ready to die. I mean, look, she's also in the Hungover games. Like, man, like, her career kind of kind of nosedives after that. Like, in... But why? Is there like a reason? Is she, yeah. did she was she on drugs or something? What she happened, Steve? I don't know. Yeah. She got heavy into drugs and the wrong side of Hollywood and oh, that's right. fun. Yeah. Um, she she um she does a lot of uh lipo sculpting, has gotten a lot of work done as well. Um it like, looks like just, Vanna White now. Yeah, she kinda does. No disrespect to Vanna. Vanna's the shit, just saying. Sure. But no, I mean she she kind of gets into drugs and and kind of goes off of kind of kind of goes off uh, a little while. It becomes quote unquote difficult to work with, um, and so stops getting cast in a lot of mainstream stuff. And it's really kind of a bummer. Um, Rachel Lee Cook also kind of disappears after this movie, but not for the same reasons. Like I wondered. When the whole Time's Up, Me Too stuff happened, I wonder if she had gotten Me Too'd, and that's why we'd never heard from her much. And it doesn't look like that happened. It, according to her, her agent protected her from Harvey Weinstein, her manager, rather. Like, her man, she had meetings with Harvey Weinstein, and her manager was in the room with them, with her during them. So, like, he, and she's like, I 100% know that I probably would have been a casualty of that had it not been for my manager being there to protect me at the time uh, because Harvey Weinstein was apparently instrumental in the movie. She's all that getting made, which is kind of the movie that makes her a star, Yep. Um, which she does in what is that? 90, 99. Um, and then she does like a couple other movies. She's in Batman beyond get Carter Antitrust, Blow Dry, Josie and the Pussycats in 2001, Texas Rangers also in 2001, and then just kind of slips slowly into obscurity after that, tragically. Um, of it's course, right? Because, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, of course, rising to prominence with the This Is Your Brain, the very popular This Is Your Bl Brain on Drugs ad where she takes a frying pan and smashes an entire kitchen. Um, ah, I remember yeah. that one. Hashtag only not, 90s kids will remember. I mean, <laughs> word. 
Uh, I was saying that it's an it's unfortunate um, that both her and Tara Reid uh, kind of <clears throat> didn't do as well after this film because, I mean, everybody in this film does this, but I I, I like to focus on the three leads here. They really embody these characters. Absolutely. Like these are these are girls I knew. Like I knew these <laughs> girls. Absolutely. Like, I knew people like I was friends with people like this. I think that's another reason why that I still enjoy watching it so much. Is it because it reminds me? It, it's another one of those movies like The Rage Carry Two. These are my people. Mm-hmm. These are my fucking people, man. Like it feels like feels like I just went back in time and I'm I'm hanging out. It like, rings true. It feels it feels genuine, right? Yeah. yeah. And that's why I said you can tell that these they were having the time of their life. You can tell they they get along really well. Like none of this feels acted. It feels lived in. It feels real, which is. And and it, I think that helps this movie a lot is that these three performances are so grounded and so realistic, even though, you know, you get Tara Reid kind of playing over the top as the dits. There's still a humanity to Melody that is really humanizing and really fun. And so you're not looking at her going, OK, but is she really this stupid? You're you're looking at her going, she is so dumb and I love her. Like, I just want to give her a big old hug. I call it the Jason Muse effect. <laughs> kinda yeah <laughs> i i think i think muse it doesn't play as well long term with muse no, but no. maybe if we got like early days yeah maybe if we got a whole franchise of her doing that maybe it would would start grading but like no it, this movie is it's it's absolutely perfect and like rosario dawson is very much the heart of the band like it's all it's all right there and everyone embodies their role kind of maybe the mom of the group sort of too in a way like it's it's all really sweet and really well actualized, I think. And I love it. I think uh, what's especially impressive about Rachel Lee Cook's performance is that it's a character that would be very easy to fuck up and mm-hmm. has been fucked up a billion times since this movie has been made. 100%. It's hard to nail that character without going too far into one aspect of the personality because Josie's a very complicated character. Yeah, like she she can be a little spacey, but she's also like really tuned in to her emotions. And I mean, she's got a lot of stuff going on. And Rachel Lee Cook plays that very naturally. Like that's I would believe that if that's just how she is in real life. Yep, I would, too. I would have no problem believing it. Um, some alternate casting in an alternate universe. We could have had um, Maggie Gyllenhaal or Zoe Deschanel as Josie. <laughs> no, <laughs> I don't know. I like those no. act- actresses, I like but not, too. Yeah, me no, too, but not no. here. No. <laughs> uh, apparently, Joan Cusack? What? No. <laughs> Joe's, uh, Rachel Lee Cook says she does not remember auditioning for this movie, uh, but apparently uh, Kaplan and Elfont had seen, she had auditioned for Can't Hardly Wait, and despite not getting a callback or or I guess not getting cast in that movie, they liked her and remembered her and liked her enough that they're like, they just sought her out for this. Um, also auditioned for the role of Valerie, uh, Beyonce, uh, Aaliyah, and uh, Lisa Left Eye Lopez all auditioned for the role of Val in this movie. I, I do love Rosario Dawson in this film, and I think she probably is the definitive Val, but every single one of those I would be interested in seeing. Right. Yeah. Um, and then uh, Tara Reid also did not audition for this movie. They just pretty much just said, hey, American Pie films are good. You should be in this. And she's like, oh, okay. Hey, Tara um, Reid, you want to do some Tara Reid shit but slightly dumber? <laughs> There you go. Uh, and of course, for the the music, uh, Kay Hanley uh, is the lead singer, provides the singing voice of Josie. Um, from Letters to Cleo. From Letters to Cleo. 
and uh, Biff Naked also performed some backup some backup vocals as well. Um, the songs are most of the songs were written by uh, Adam Schlesinger from uh, Bowling for Soup. Or I'm sorry, Fountains of Wayne, not Bowling for Soup, Fountains of Wayne. Same um, thing. And, Basically uh, the same thing. He's but he's <laughs> he's the guy who brought us uh, that thing you do. Um, that's a good movie. Speaking like, of okay, which is what I was going to say. This up. this this movie has like a little like sprinkling of that thing you do in it, like mm-hmm. very very much. I think part of it is the music, but this guy was like a prolific songwriter for a lot of a lot of people. Like like did a lot of movies, did a lot of this kind of stuff, and he passed away in uh, twenty twenty, I believe, shortly that's after the bad. shortly after the coronavirus started. I'm actually wanting to check and see. Uh, yes, he actually did die of, of complications from COVID Lame. Um, at the age of 52 outside of New York City in a little town called Poughkeepsie. So, yeah, like um, but he he wrote um, Pretend to be Nice, uh, Babyface, as you might have guessed from his um, his appearance, does a couple songs for the movie as well. He's uh, a producer on the film, too. Mm hmm. Uh, Deborah, Deborah Kaplan and Harry Elfont wrote, I think wrote three small words trying to make it the dirtiest, the subliminally dirtiest song ever. Yes. Uh, punk rock prom queen, brown paper magazine, uh, 10 ticket thrill ride. Don't you want to come inside? Um, I don't want to answer that question. Yeah, right. Which, like, that was very indicative of the music at the time. You you go back and listen yeah. to a lot of boy band songs nowadays. They were dirty as fuck. Uh, and I think Backdoor Lover is a really great indication <laughs> of that. Yes, yes. They're talking about butt stuff, you guys. Yes. <laughs> yes. And I remember when my friends and I saw this and in early 2000s looking at each other like, you know, a bunch of Christian Christian kids looking at each other going, is this about what I think it's about and trying to find ways to excuse how it could possibly not be about what it's obviously about. And then finally coming around years later going, yeah, that song is all about butt sex. If I can, uh, while you take a breath there, Steven, if I can bring it back to letters to Cleo for just a second, (gasps) they still play the song. Some of the songs from this record at their show is people almost demand it. Good. They should like, awesome. Uh, spin around three small words. Um, I don't remember what other ones. I know they play at least those two. Um, I started looking it up, but then I stopped. Oh, Pretend to be Nice, they still play that one live. I mean, some of these are from 2021 where they're playing these songs. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, they are definitely have embraced their part in the making of this certified classic. Also, I love the the countdown in the chorus of Three Small Words. Uh, Six whole hours and five long days for all your lies that come undone. Those three small words were way too late. So you can't see that I'm the one. Indeed. Countdown from six to one. It's great. It's beautiful. Well You'll love to see it. Well done. Solid songwriting. Who would have thought? Right? Yeah. And that's, and that's another thing is that these songs are actually bangers. Like so often you'll, you'll hear like a music or you'll, you'll see a movie and they're like, oh, this is a, such a great band. And then you listen to their songs and you're like, this kind of sucks. Like who wrote this shit? And this is not one of those movies. Like you listen to this stuff and you're like, I can absolutely see why people like this. They constantly have to repress. Mondo is constantly repressing the vinyl that they put I believe out it. in, in uh, 2019, I believe is when they first put it out. I think that's right. Yeah. And they're const- it's constantly sold out and you're constantly waiting. Like when I 
ordered pre-ordered mine. Mm-hmm. They had over pre-ordered the pre-orders, so I had mm-hmm. to wait for another cycle. It took me about a year and a half to get that record after I ordered it. Oof. Yep. Yeah, it's. I mean, look, it's a great soundtrack. Um, it's an absolutely incredible soundtrack. In point of fact, like. And I love the presentation yeah. of the the uh, the record that Mondo has put out because it is the album from the film. And the other two songs in the movie, which are du jour songs, they come with it, but they're not on the album because that's Josie's album. That's Josie and the Pussycats album. And you get it on the 45 that comes with it. That's amazing. Both the du jour songs. As like a single. That's fun. Yeah. That's a lot of fun. Pretty, I like that a lot. Pretty good. Yeah, I'm going to, I'll probably, I ended up doing what I did after I watched that thing you do again recently. And I just, there's probably going to be a couple of Josie and the Pussycat songs on my Spotify playlist now. Hell yeah. So, yeah, no, I was, I definitely ate this soundtrack up when I was a teenager, like absolutely loved it. Um, so yeah. And I as, will. As an early unrepentant Avril Lavigne lover. Um, mm. This definitely hit that wheelhouse for me at the time. Gonna so. say there's a lot to love in here. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I, you know, it's, it's kind of a, a harder rock edge. Now, Tucker, you've actually been a gigging musician. How well realized is that aspect? I guess it's only in the early part of the film, but like that, that aspect oh. of them as kind of, you know, just gigging musicians trying to make it as artists. Uh, something that I realized with this, um, viewing of the film and I feel stupid because of it is that they rented those lanes at the bowling alley Uh to play on. They're not playing a show at the bowling alley because the bowling alley asked them to play. They had to pay to occupy those lanes and play a show. Yep. And yeah, sometimes you do stuff like that Mm -hmm. just to get your shit out there, man. Sometimes you play to nobody. They uh, they did did make 20 bucks. But, yeah, but they had to, for the shoe rental minus five dollars for the shoe rental each. Yeah. Um, there I one of the most promising gigs that I ever had. Nobody came to. But we played it anyway. To a very disappointed venue owner. Yikes. He liked the show, though. Good. He just didn't like that. Nobody came. I mean, small town. Know, we were new. That's fair. But yeah. But no, it's uh, um, the first part of the film. So what are you telling me a skanky of... had a rock show and nobody came? Yeah. That is something that happened. Uh, it it kind of sucked, too, because the venue did not have their own PA, which is ridiculous for the size of venue that it was. That is kind of and absurd. so we had to call somebody that was about a half an hour away who was closed that the venue owner knew. Mm-hmm. rent a PA and the venue owner paid a lot to get it out there. And then nobody came. Nobody showed. Nobody showed man. But yeah, the first part of the movie, uh, it does. It is a little bit like that, especially if it's, uh, there have been a few bands where I have, we have lived together as a band. Mm-hmm. And so that for me is more the aspect that feels the most realistic about the, the first third of the film is them living together and it being their life, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's, right that's what I have to say about that. All three of them sharing a single packet of ramen. Yeah. Cause you know, they, they made $5 on their show. 
Um, God, I love this movie so much. I wish they would have uh, paid off uh, Josie being a good mechanic. They could yeah. have put that in there a little bit more. I, I feel like there's cool. another cut of this movie that's like another half an hour to 20 minutes longer. That where like the, at some point, right? the bus breaks <laughs> down off, yeah. somewhere and she's got to like fix it. And so she like shows up to the gig like sweaty and covered in grease or something. I don't know. Which looks like sounds Alan amazing. M sort of disappears for large chunks of this movie. And As he should. Like, remember that he's a thing. If, like, what a non entity of a character in this really, movie. Really, yeah. I feel like there could have been more of that through line. But... Uh, you know, I think there's enough of it because he, he serves his purpose, but this movie is not at its core a love story. Uh, I agree. Does it drive the plot sometimes? Yes. When it needs so to. I think, I think he's there as much as he needs to be. I do like their relationship. I like that the their part of the plot is not overcomplicated. It's pretty by the numbers. You know, there's a misunderstanding, so they're mad at each other, and then they declare their love to each other, and they're together, and it's wonderful, and it's great, and there's just enough of it. If there were any more of it, I don't well, think I'd have the time. That's my problem with things like that. I hate when they introduce a character that seems like they're going to be important, and then they disappear for a large chunk of the movie. I hate when you movies know what, do that. Like, you know what he is, Brad. You know what he is. Uh, he's he's the stereotypical the female love interest. Oh, like in in a film like this, if it had been men in the band, there would be a character who exists as the female love interest, who is like there just to perform that very perfunctory action. Doesn't have much of a character. Doesn't have much to do. That is Alan M in this movie, and I feel like it's almost a comment on that and how you know women tend to get relegated to that role, but because the main characters are women. This, this guy who's like a kind of a non-entity non-presence is relegated to that role. And I think it's really fun. I think it's kind of funny. And he's really sweet and he's very good to Josie and he seems like a really great guy, but you know what he's described as at the beginning, the hottest guy in Riverdale. He's just an object to me. Basically. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. He's just a pretty face with a guitar, man. That's all he is. And it's wonderful. I, for one, am all for it. Yeah, man. Right. Fair enough. More, more himbos in movies. Please and thank you. Yeah. Oh, that's you guys. That's why I keep trying to tell you we need to do a main feed episode on the Slumber Party Massacre remake, dude. We're gonna. It's on the list, dude. Is it? It like, is. It's scheduled? Let me check the no. calendar. It's not on the oh. schedule, but it's on the list. We're gonna get there. Calm down. I did Charlie Brown walk. I was going to say so you're Charlie Brown walking away. <laughs> yeah. Cue the cue the Vince Gillardi. Um, <laughs> man, what else is there to say about this? That's the thing with movies that are just this good. It's hard to like, because eventually you're just like, damn, I don't know. It's just a great movie. It is. I had some some points that I wanted to bring up, and I feel like I've kind of squished them all in there as much as I could. I don't right. think if there was anything else specifically that I really wanted to touch on. Um, I liked the DJ in the record store, which is something that used to be a thing sometimes. Mm-hmm. You'd have somebody there on a little island in the middle. I thought that was that was fun to remember Again, that very much record stores used to exist. Very much of the of the era for sure. Which also made me think, um, it was weird that with all the product placement, I did because that that was very obviously supposed to be a Virgin Megastore. 
Yes. But I didn't see the Virgin logo anywhere, which felt weird. That is weird. And that's the thing. Like, I don't think anyone actually paid to have their products in the movie. Oh, I don't know. There was too much. There was 7-Eleven in places where it shouldn't have been. They definitely paid. But like 7-Eleven was fucking everywhere. Like you see it in every frame of this movie. Sure. But it it doesn't it feels like a it says no money was received from all the product placement of the in the film. Now that's IMDB trivia, so take that with a grain that's of salt. Absurd, and I don't but know. Like if I believe it. you've got so many different companies doing product placement. Um, Sega, Motorola, Starbucks, Gatorade, Snapple, Evian, Target, Aquafina, America Online, those, Pizza those Hut, Cartoon Network, bars. There's one of those in this movie. McDonald's, Revlon, Kodak, Puma, Advil, Bounce, Zima, like so many products. But you don't drink in this movie. I've I think been I should to start. start. I think I should start. Yeah, I'd love to get a six pack of Zima. Oh, and the whole I want a Big Mac, but you're a vegetarian. <laughs> I know, but I suddenly want one. Like that's how powerful the subliminal messaging is, guys. Tara Reid gonna be in the toilet for like two days if she eats that Big Mac. I'm just oh, saying. Oh, <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's 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 the danger of being vegetarian for so long and eating meat is oh my god, your poor R.I.P. your colon. Um, but yeah, like and I, again, I think the product product placement is brilliant. There's, it feels like there is not a frame of this movie that does not have some logo in it or some product in it. Um, I know that's not true, but it feels that way. Like, in, again, in that respect, it feels like the movie itself is going out of its way to make the point that the movie is trying to make in that, like, this movie is also the thing that we're talking about. Like, this movie is guilty of what we're doing. So it's kind of this self-reflective, self-referential takedown of the entertainment industry. And at the end, when they say, oh, well, you know, it's far more effective to do this in movies. And then you realize, oh, that's what we've been doing this entire time. This entire movie has just been product placement for 70 plus different companies. Josie and the Pussycats yeah. is the best movie ever. Join the army. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And those, that joke and the one about asking Alexander why she's here. And he says, because I was in the comic. I love it. Like, like the meta humor are my favorite jokes. Like, I know. <laughs> and it's so good. It's every it and it's really well done. It's not overdone. Like it, it's not done in a way that kind of feels like winky, like, ah, ah, did you get what we did there? But it's, it's no, it's, it's fun. Like it, it works really well. I think I still don't understand why you're here. Oh, I was in the comic. What? Nothing like, <laughs> yeah, perfect. Move That's along. all you need. Yeah. Don't draw attention to it. You know, I do love Missy Pyle in this movie though. I think she's great with the, with what she had, with the little she has to work with. Um, her character's not that important to the film, but what she does provide is very entertaining and memorable. She's a memorable I character. Really, really like Missy Pyle as a performer. I think she is really, she tends to be really underutilized, which is a bummer, but she's always good. Like she shows up and she'll just knock something out of the park. And usually she's like, she's a character actress. So she's like the little, the, the, you know, the little spice you put on at the end. Like she's in future episode of this podcast galaxy quest finally an episode on galaxy quest it's coming at some point we're gonna get there calm down yeah long yeah, time coming yeah. long time in the works she was really good in why the last man which was not a great show but it should not have been canceled after one season i uh, because i liked the comic i would be interested in seeing the show 
I liked the comic too, um, but I read it when it came out, and I hadn't read it since. So when people are like, "Oh, it's not like this, or this is different," I don't like it. I'm like, "Is it? I don't really remember. Like, I remember the broad sto- strokes of the comic, but I thought it, it was fine. It's not great, but there's some really good stuff going on there. And Missy Pyle is one of those things. She plays kind of a cult leader, mm. and she's yeah. really fucking good. No, and she's she- great. Miss- Missy Pyle, phenomenal. Like, she's done a ton of good stuff over the course of her career. I mean, she's been working since. God, probably the early nineties, mid to late nineties. Yeah. Um, this is one of her early big roles, honestly, this and galaxy quest in nine in 99, like are two of her early big roles before she starts breaking out. And again, she doesn't break out huge. She'll just like show up and stuff. And she works pretty damn consistently though. She does. And that's, and most of the stuff she's in, she's pretty good. And she's also in future episode of this podcast, Stormbreaker. Um, that's a movie that we're going to have to cover one of these days. Can't wait. Question mark. Based on a YA novel series from James oh, Patterson. Uh, Alex Ryder, Stormbreaker. Yeah. So, cool. but no, Missy Pyle, man. She's great. I love it when she shows up. You, you love to see it. So, and, but again, she's not a big name. She's not like someone who is going to get top billing, but she's going to come in and consistently act the shit out of whatever you give her to do. Uh, and you'll love to see it. So there um, you go. I have forgotten I to mention, guys. Um, the, the, there's a video game for this movie? No, there isn't. Oh, okay. um, I looked. I looked. I'm surprised there <laughs> wasn't. Because like this was around the time, if I recall, like the rise of Guitar Hero and whatnot. Mm. Um, I think if this movie had been bigger, they pr- there probably would have been a Josie and the Pussycats Guitar Hero. Guitar Hero didn't come out until at least... I want to say 2004, 2005. The first Guitar Hero? Guitar Hero 2005. Right I was oh, saying not because I want you to be wrong, Brett, but because I want us to be accurate. Guitar Hero is a series of musical rhythm game video games first released in 2005. Okay. So this movie came out too early. Otherwise, there probably would have been one. There we go. Yeah, I think it would have been great uh, for the mobile game market. They definitely would have made something if that were a thing then. For mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. No, yeah. what I was going to say is, though, uh, I totally forgot that the three leads got together for the 20th anniversary and like had a fun virtual discussion. That's awesome. They sure did. It's on YouTube. You can watch it. I think I'll need to go do that. There's also around the 20th anniversary, a podcast um, that was really, I remember listening to it during the pandemic while I was out mowing my lawn, I would just pop it on and listen to it. And it's, it's really, really well done. uh, Really well researched. It's uh, I think an Australian podcast about this movie. There's a really good commentary on this Blu-ray. You guys get this Blu-ray and listen to the commentary and you will see how much love went into this movie, how much of a passion project this was from the creative forces behind it. It feels like it. It really does. Like that comes through in the edit, I think, for sure. Like you can tell that everyone involved in this was just having a really great time. Which I think is what sets it apart because this movie feels like a 90s movie because mm-hmm. I've said before, 90s movies have a feel to them. Mm-hmm. and this one absolutely does, but there is something slightly different about it that makes it stay in the test of time, I suppose. Agreed. And I, again, I think part of it is the fact that there's, despite the fact that it is very firmly set in the early 2000s, late 90s, the stuff that it's commenting on is still relevant and still prescient. Like it, it holds up remarkably well. It doesn't fall into any of the like 
traps and tropes that don't age well. Um, no gay bashing, no slurs. I was say, yeah, or... no, no uh, homophobic slurs. Like you, when you go back and you're trying to have a good time watching Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Yep. And and then your two best friends call each other the F slur. Mm-hmm. There's you just, the... you're disappointed for a second, and you're like, oh, you well, are. I guess that was the time. I mean, the the closest thing that we get to any allusion to homosexuality whatsoever is Justin Chatwin's character at the beginning as the male du jour fan. I love them oh, all. Yeah. He's like you his know, brothers. Like brothers. <laughs> <laughs> Justin Chatwin, star of the uh, another future episode of this podcast, Dragon Ball Evolution. Oh, great. Mm, no. I can tell you're both very excited. We actually have a We're guest lined up for that, that one. Well, good. You and that guest can have a great time with it because <laughs> yeah. Brett and I plan on being sick that week. Enjoy it. I'm not, I'm all of a sudden not feeling well for that episode. I don't oh. know why. <laughs> in, three in advance, in anticipation of that one. Ooh, yeah. gross. Yuck. Um, but no, again, and just kind of a tiny throwaway role for, for Justin Chatwin, uh, who would go on to uh, fame as uh, Goku in Dragon Ball Evolution. He's I didn't also, even know that kid was in anything else. He's in War of the Worlds, the Steven Spielberg War of the Worlds, as the oldest son that runs off to fight war and in, to fight in the war and inexplicably lives till the end of the movie somehow. Uh, he's on a few episodes of Weeds. He's on the show Shameless. Like he's done a lot of other stuff. Good for him. He's in the the future another future episode of this podcast, the 2017 Chips movie with Dak Shepard and Michael Pena. I always wanted to see that. I I but I just never have. It's on the list, man. Not I on the like schedule, would have but on really the list. good chemistry. I don't think anybody likes that movie, but I'm interested in those two actors working together. I think that is one of those movies that does not exist. Like it just doesn't feel like a movie that is like is real. Well, it feels like a, a movie that someone made up. It's around that time where they were doing, um, you know, movie adaptations of old like 70s and 80s. TV that was 2017, man. That was well after that. What? Really? What the yes. hell? It was a revival of that. Oh genre, my god. Maybe. No, no yeah. wonder it probably didn't. You can tell it doesn't exist. Like they were a little late to the party on that. I was gonna say been in development since then. And there you go. That's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. We <laughs> could absolutely do an entire month of like 60s and 70s TV shows that were remade in the we 90s or later. Starsky and Hutch for the obvious good one of the bunch. We can we do, do the Mod Squad. We can do the Beverly Hillbillies. Penelope Spheris's Be- Beverly Hillbillies. Dukes. Well, no, Brady Dukes of Hazzard got sequels. Brady oh, Bunch shit. got sequels. Shit. No, I say like it's why I wish we had uh, 21 Jump Street. Adam's really family. Good. I wish we could talk about that. 21 Jump Street. It's a masterpiece, which is why it got a sequel that is, I think, just as good as the original. My name is Jeff. <laughs> I really wish we would have gotten the MIB crossover. I think that would have been a ton of fun. I think it would have been um, just the idea I'm that, oh, bad. well, now you guys are assigned to the- the men in black and it's Channing Tatum like just and Jonah Hill just being men in black that would have been I think an interesting way to reinvigorate the men in black franchise instead of what we got Mm -hmm. (laughs) men in black international future episode of this podcast that movie spoiler alert sucks out loud Mm, very much even my parents didn't like that and like unless your movie is really shitty they will at least say oh it was a cute show Mm -hmm. they'll at least say that so that tells you how bad Men in Black International was. Golly, yeah. I haven't the, seen it. The blank check Patreon to. just did that as their uh just got done doing that as their uh their 
one of their more recent miniseries. And by the time they get to Men in Black International, they're just like, this sucks. Everything sucks. Why are we doing this? Whose idea was this? I hate this. (laughs) Like they're just broken men by the the nearest bridge. (laughs) It kind of, yeah. And see, the first one is so good. They're like, this is perfect. All the jokes land. Everything's perfect. I love this so much. And then starting with the second one, they're like, what is this? I hate this. This is bad. Well, and the whole series is a roller coaster because the first one is great. The Mm -hmm. second one is just irredeemable just horrible in every featuring way featuring rosario dawson as the yeah. shoehorned in love interest and then the third one is like oh pretty good this isn't, Not this bad. isn't so bad we're it going in a okay. good direction again yeah, it, what fine. it is is that they started that movie before they had a finished script and then the writer's strike hit so they had to stop i think is what it was so they oh had gosh, like Roland carries that movie on his shoulders kind of does but that's why the story like it takes them half the movie to get to like the crux of the story because they filmed like the first half waiting for them for them to get a plot and then once the strike was over they had a plot they were able to film the rest of it but that's why like you have to wait like 45 minutes into the movie before you get like the whole idea of his father being a thing like it takes you that long to get there because the production on that film was a fucking mess I thought that Jermaine from Fly of the Concords was really good as the villain, and I thought the design was really interesting and really scary, too. Like, he's fucking scary looking in that movie, and I think it's really great. I love the villain in that movie. And you give me a time, good time travel story, and I'm on board 100% oh, of the time. yeah. So, Way know, into it. But thank you for bringing that up, Stephen, because I did want to say, uh, writer's strike right now, mm-hmm. I feel like we're... We 100% support writers and they should be yes. paid what they um, deserve. Yes. And let's 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 be very clear. The reason that there is a writer's strike happening, the reason why shows are going to start getting delayed uh, is not the fault of the writers. It is the fault of the studios that do not want to pay them what they're worth. Correct. And we at the Disenfranchised Podcast support uh, the writers and we support their unions and we hope that they're able to get an equitable um, as long as it takes to get the 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 monies and the the payments that are due to them, hundred um, percent. Well, quite frankly, uh, we support uh, all unions, and yes. we are for workers' rights across the board. But something I thought, uh, I think, I think streaming, though, in a lot of ways for the consumer, it's very good and very convenient. Um, and this isn't just in the film and TV industry. This applies to the music industry probably more like you're not making any money from streaming no one is making money from streaming except for the people at the top correct and i saw i saw an mf with a sign i was reading a story about the the writer's strikes and i saw somebody who had been in the business since like the 70s who's still going strong i don't remember who it was he had a sign who was like yo we made more than this in the vhs days Mm -hmm. not adjusting for inflation right like it's ridiculous nobody's streaming has like flies are coming out of wallets because of streaming right and they have an excuse now to underpay people and now with with the advent of like chat gpt and and ai studio execs are like well can't we just get like can't we just get like an ai to write the script and then we can get like a we can get like a writer just to punch it up and make it sound like you know something humans would say like it's becoming more and more of a gig economy which is not sustainable for the industry for the film industry at all and look like that's some that's some like dark world russo brothers bullshit man like if you want to know what it's like to see an ai written generated blockbuster watch a russo brothers film 
because I would I have no problem believing that their last movie Cherry was 100% generated that way. I would not be surprised. At all. I think those boys have good intentions. I just think they're a little misdirected. Honestly. I think yeah, I, I think like they those don't guys. I do, but they 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 were plucked from obscurity and basically given the keys to the most popular franchise in the world. So they kind of have a very skewed perspective on how the industry works as a result. They were doing um, what Arrested Development before that? Arrested Development and Community. Like they were plucked from TV sitcoms. And honestly, it was the, they directed the paintball episode of Community, which is I'm, I guarantee <laughs> you what got them the job on Captain America, the Winter Soldier. I guarantee yeah. you that's what got them that gig. That's and a good movie, though. Winter Soldier's good as hell. It's one of the better ones. It is. And I heard a story over the course of the um, press junkets for Guardians. Because mm-hmm. um, the first MCU F bomb is in the new Guardians movie. Nice. nice. Um, and I'm glad they gave it to James Gunn. Well, so here's the thing. According to James Gunn, um, he was worried about keeping it in there because Chris Pratt improvised it. Sure. But he thought it was hilarious and wanted to keep it in the movie. So um, he was worried that isn't he going to tell him no. So he had a discussion with Kevin Feige. And he was like, do you, I mean, look, it is really funny, but do you want that to be your legacy? That you had the first F-bomb in the MCU. James Gunn, of course, was like, fuck yes, I do. Of course <laughs> yes. I do. That sounds this, is the man that, this is the man that gave us the Peacemaker with the t-shirts that said, oh, fuck, it's the Peacemaker. He, yes. This is yeah. the man who gave us Tromeo and Juliet. Look at where Correct. this man started. Like, yes. But on. apparently, Endgame was supposed to have the first F-bomb in the MCU, and, the, and Kevin Feige had that same conversation with the Russos, and they said, no, we don't want that to be our legacy. Hell no, take it out. Where was it supposed to be? They've never said... A lot of I people assume. When... <laughs> a lot of people assume it's it's a Tony line. Like it's either at the end when he snaps, you know, he says, "I'm Iron Man, fuck you," or like, "I'm fucking fuck Iron, you, Man. I'm Iron Man, I'm fucking fuck Iron, you, I'm Man, Iron Man, yeah. yeah, something like that." Um, or when he's talking to Cap and he, he says, "Like fuck you, you weren't there," like something mm. like that, like that that conversation. You know who it should have gone to? Samuel L. Jackson. Howard the Duck. Oh, yeah. okay. It, and Howard <laughs> the Duck. They should have said Howard, it at the Howard same the time. In the new Guardians movie, by the way, nice. yeah. he's got a couple lines too. It's pretty. A cool. couple, yeah, hell yeah. Too. yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he's been in every time the guard, with the exception of um, Love and Thunder. Every time the Guardians have appeared, Howard's pretty much been there, like in the background somewhere. Like he's in Endgame. Like it was one kind of one of those things. Like the Russos were like, "Could we put Howard the Duck in this scene? Like, is there any reason why we couldn't put Howard the Duck there?" Okay. Um, and then he's in both of the previous Guardians films. Like I. I, we talked about it last week. Howard Duck, great character. I yeah. would love to see him come to uh, come to Earth, and I would love to see Seth Green star in a Howard the Duck movie. I think That's that would be a lot Howard of fun. The Duck movie I would watch. But before we get too off of our tangent here, I want to say that I think the fucking end game should have been when when Cap calls Mjolnir. Mm-hmm. And he- calls it back and then just a collective fuck from everybody that sees it <laughs> we're just all like fuck that's legitimately Thanos, though that was like, that was every theater in america when that happens exactly yeah. um oh man i still tear up thinking about that and i don't even really give a fuck about it that much it's a good moment but you know it's, it's not so as good yeah it's not as cheerworthy as the flash breaking the speed force and Zack snyder's justice league what a what a what a beautiful moment that we all shared together and cheered just cheered out loud at Steven, are you okay? 
God, I hate the Oscars. I, I think Stephen just had a stroke. I'm, I'm yep, I, I'm dead. I, I'm no longer alive. I died. I liked the decision to present it in four by three. I thought that was really cool. I want I want a double VHS of the Snyder Cut in black and white. That's what I want. Well, I mean, I'm right surprised now. you don't have it already, honestly. If it exists, I'm going to buy it right now. I'm sure you will. No, Tucker, no. I don't no. think it exists. <laughs> God, Tucker, why? Why? Don't do why? It. Don't do why it, are man. you like this? Um, what other thoughts? Money to Zack Snyder. What, <laughs> what other thoughts do we have about 2001's Josie and the Pussycats? Uh, it's real, no, real I good. think uh, it's great. It's real fucking good. That's all. Best. It's probably the best. Pretty great. Um, let me look at the cast real quick to make sure there's every. I've mentioned everybody I wanted to mention. Um. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, as soon as we stop the recording, I'm going to think of like about 30 things I wanted to say that I didn't say. But I mean, you're editing the episode, so you could easily just like drop drop them in right here. I'll be like, oh, Steven and Brett, you both have to go to the bathroom at the same time. Oh, well. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, that's I mean, look, this movie, it it rips. We both both of us all, all. all of us, all of us unabashedly love this movie, um, which is why what I'm about to tell you is so heartbreaking. Uh, this movie opens the weekend of April 13th, 2001. It opens at number seven um, to four point six million dollars uh, in first place, holding steady after three weeks. The Robert Rodriguez film Spy Kids. Uh, what if what if there were spies that were kids? Um, in second place, the uh, along came a spider. The uh, Morgan uh, Freeman, Ashley Judd. Yep. Yeah, yeah. They the, did a uh, bunch of movies there for a while, and they were all pretty okay. Like that's the, why yeah. they kept doing them. The Alex Cross movies. We'll we'll we can discuss the Tyler Perry reboot attempt of the Alex Cross series at some point. Kiss the Girls was the other one, right? Yes, Kiss the Girls was okay. the one with Ashley Judd. Along came a spider is the, okay. the second one with Monica Potter, I believe. Um. In third is uh, opening this week, Bridget Jones's Diary. Uh, and in fourth, also opening this week, uh, you know, a little counter programming to uh, to Bridget Jones's Diary, Joe Dirt. <laughs> what if what if fun. what if David Spade played a redneck? My first college roommate loved that movie, uh, which is why I uh, don't. <laughs> I get why people like it. I do. I mean, yeah, there was definitely it seeped into pop culture in the worst way. Mm, there it is. It wasn't. It was not good at all. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm thinking I'm a agreement. double jeopardy is well, well. Morgan Freeman's not in that one. No, that's Tommy Lee Jones Tommy and Ashley Judd. Damn, I thought no. Ashley Judd had a had a nice little run of thrillers there in the in the late nineties before she I just they were sadly got with Weinsteined. Morgan Freeman. She's in that movie, by the way. Uh, she said she plays herself, and it's really that's I think one of the best parts of the movie because I told her that movie shit. Mm. Like the story is important and deserves to be told, but the movie just sucks. Yeah um, the 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 uh, the he said she said. It's just called she said. Oh, just she said. Uh, okay. But Ashley Judd is in it, and um, I think that was one of my favorite parts because I I think I it was really brave of her to be right in that film as herself, I think. 
Um, Rose McGowan did not decide to be in that movie. There was a, someone doing an impression of her on a phone call. Mm. Unfortunately, I feel bad for that. I feel so bad for that. I think Rose McGowan yeah. probably got the worst of it out of that. I that I'm inclined to agree based on she what seems I seems like understand. a lovely gal. Yeah, she really does. And that sucks. Yep, sure does. Uh, that whole situation sucks. Uh, in fifth place, Blow. Um, the reason that we know who Penelope Cruz is, Blow. That was that was a fun movie. I worked at the theater when that came out. Well, of course I did because I was at the theater when this came out. Rounding out the top ten, you've got Kingdom Come in sixth place, Josie and the Pussycats in seventh. Uh, Pokemon 3, the movie in 8th, Enemy at the Gates in ninth, and Someone Like You in 10th. Uh, the movie makes a grand total of $14.3 at the box office, another 54.4 thousand in the international box office. So it makes it 14.3, just a little over 14.3 is ultimately what it ends up making worldwide. Um not uh, not the kind of numbers you want for any movie that's going to get a sequel. Um, what's, the, what's the budget on this? The budget on this, according to what is reported. Uh, da, 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 let me check. Um, production like budget million. 22 million was what was projected. And that's probably then not covering um, things like promotion. Marketing. And yeah. Yeah. So. So all in all, a fairly dismal return on investment. And the reviews, not much better. The Tomatometer score on this one is a 53%. Yeah, the critics' uh, consensus, this live-action update of Josie and the Pussycats offers up bubbly, fluffy fun, but the constant appearance of product placement seems rather hypocritical. You're missing See? the point. The I told point. you, people that, missed the that, point at the time. You know how people on the internet, they write with, alternating caps to denote someone saying something in a stupid voice that's yeah. that what you just read i just saw that in alternating caps 100 percent. uh the meta score is 47 uh based on mixed or average reviews from 29 Pop critics and the letterbox score is a 3.5 i think we're gonna give it better tucker out of all five right. how are you going to rate 2001's josie and the pussycats uh it's a five for me, it's not a perfect movie, but um, the parts that work work so well that the few parts that don't don't even fucking matter. Fair enough. Fair enough. Brett, what about you? Um, I think I'm going to after, you know, it was a four, but after our conversation, like usual, I ain't going to bump it up to a four and a half. Yeah. It's it's an easy four and a half for me. Maybe one of the easiest four and a halves I've ever given. Uh, I struggled like. Do I give it a five? Do I? I I'm holding it at a four point five right now, but it is so imminently rewatchable that I could I could see myself bumping it to five pretty soon. Um, but it's it's such a good film. I love it so much. Um, I will pro I might rewatch it later. Who knows? Um, I really do enjoy it. It's it's an it's the kind of nostalgia bump that I I can go for um, because again it it reminds me of my my high school and and college days like that summer right before i went to college like hanging out with my friends it, it definitely reminds me of that and i kind of love it for that so so our yeah. people that that is that's it um yeah. and that is our episode on 2001's josie and the pussycats um if you need more of us and why wouldn't you make sure you check out our patreon patreon.com slash disenfranch pod to see what we've been watching and playing and listening to among 
many other things. We've got content constantly dropping for you over there. Uh, you can also uh, make sure that you uh, give us a rating and review on whatever your podcatcher of choice is, particularly if it's Apple Podcasts or Spotify. A five-star rating and review really helps us find other people like yourselves. So please go and do that, particularly if you have not done so already. Uh, we kind of live and die by those ratings. So help, help, please help. Um, you can also find us on social media. We are Pod on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, and Facebook. Uh, you can also email us disenfranchpod at gmail.com. We are also now, the show is on YouTube, youtube.com slash disenfranchpod, uh, where you can find Tucker says, no, that's not it. Why don't you do this, Tucker? Uh, it's just there's an at symbol before disenfranchpod. That's all. Okay. YouTube.com backslash at disenfranchpod. Um, so you can find us there and download, I think, starting with the Howard the Duck episode, every new episode mm-hmm. you can find on YouTube, because apparently that's something that... People watch podcasts on YouTube now, so you can watch us there, too. You, you can't really watch us because our, our pictures will not appear. Um, but, you know, you can look at the logo while you listen to the podcast play in the background. Well, I thought I thought that it would be a good place um, for us if we wanted. We might maybe do some videos, short videos at some sure. point. I just had some thoughts about, like, if when we're all together in the same place, we could do like a, a little short video of something. I don't know. I just thought it would be cool to every once in a while drop something on there. If people actually start subscribing to the YouTube. Sure. And who knows, maybe we release those early on Patreon too, for our patrons. Who knows? Maybe, maybe you see those on Patreon before you see them on YouTube. Who knows? Seems appropriate. Um, yeah, but you can find us there now as well. We're now on the YouTube. Also disenfranch pod. Check us out there. Also subscribe, like, and, and tell all your friends, please. Um, I'm your host, Stephen Foxworthy. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at uh, Chewy Walrus. That's my handle. Yeah, find me there. Uh, Brett, where, what about you? Where can we find you these days? You can find me on Instagram and Letterboxd at sus underscore warlock. Right on. And Tucker? As always, I am on YouTube at youtube.com slash ice909, I-C-E-N-I-N-E, the number zero and the number nine. And I have just figured out how to make videos longer than 10 minutes. So I will be restarting the preservation project as soon as I have any time at all to do that. So sometime probably in the next three weeks or so, I will start that back up with full LPs of Lost or uh, underappreciated and not seen on the internet records that you might be interested in. Nice. Uh, also, of course, we have the the new Instagram for Tux Mugs, which I believe is at Tux underscore Mugs. No, it's Tuck underscore yeah. Mugs. No, no plural, just one Tuck. And unfortunately, I I don't drink coffee every day, but when I do, we throw that up there, and there's always a nice little story on there. It's really fun. I'd really like uh, people to check it out because uh, it'd be really cool to see some of your mugs. Yeah. You could have them up on there. We're going to throw one of Brett's up on there here in a bit. Mm -hmm. Pretty excited about that. Uh, But yeah, check it out Uh, because it's fun and it's harmless and it's, there are a lot worse things that you could see while you're doom scrolling. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's a dark world. Enjoy it with a mug of something delicious. Um, and a that's story. Yeah. yeah. Warm, 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 all every part of you. Um, 
And that is all we got for this absolutely banger of a movie, Josie and the Pussycats. Join us next time. We're going to talk about another failed franchise starter. Uh, this has been Disenfranchised. I'm your host, Stephen Foxworthy, for my co-host, Brett Wright and Tucker. Until next time, DeJour means friendship. DeJour means teamwork. Disenfranchised is the best podcast ever. Join the army. <laughs>